0: great to have you with us as God is just, we are just in awe of what God is truly doing in this place and as lives are being touched and just the, the things that God is doing, I mean just as we take steps forward to uh, to take this next step of growth for EVC, I just think it's just amazing that we see a family uh, like the Seavers heading out at this same point in time and this is just what God is doing. And so I'm so thankful that you're here as a part of it as well, just as a part of what God continues wants to do through you. But we are continuing in this series called Questions, and today we have pulled out all the stops, okay, because this is the question upon everybody's heart, I know, and it is this, why are the Dallas Cowboys so terrible? I know, that is why you are asking that question so I thought with just one fell swoop, we would answer this question today just to get it off your mind, and here is the answer, ladies and gentlemen. There we go. That's right. Can I get an amen this morning? Yeah. Jerry Jones is the problem. We know that he is the problem for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, more than any, as I was looking at this particular service, this probably more than any other service doesn't care about the Cowboys. Are there real Cowboys fans out here? No, not really. Okay, just a few of you. Otherwise, you'd be home right now watching the Cowboys as they're playing right now, wouldn't you? Okay. So I understand that. Now, please take Jerry Jerry Jones' picture off the screen. There's only room for one guy from Arkansas on this stage today, and that would happen to be me. Now, I do want to give a shout-out to all my Texas Tech fans out there that it is obviously, this is the question we're really asking, and that is this. How do I know God's will? Is that a big question? And for my Texas Tech brothers and sisters, it was God's will that my Arkansas Razorbacks defeat you yesterday. That's what it is. You see, if nothing else, If nothing else, this pulpit is a place for me to ridicule others. That's what this is really about, I know. But we are. We're going to ask that question today. It's a huge question, isn't it? How do I know God's will for my life? I mean, it is such a big question, and I am so thankful that it is happening at this particular place in this series because we really need to deal with the issues of uh, why God chooses not to heal. Why does he allow suffering in the life of believers? why We need to deal with some of those questions before we get to this question. I think that will be a little, made a little bit more clear as we delve into this and we get into it. But this is a huge question. This week, I um, actually just yesterday, I was with my daughter, and we went to Parents Weekend at Kara's new university. And as we were sitting there with her, we were actually in a in a program, and I it's as if God took everything that I'd been studying this week and just gave me a moment of kind of revelation of of my own life. And I look at my daughter who stands, and I remember 25 years ago, a little more than 25 years ago, but being where she is, and that this question permeated my life. How do I know what God wants me to do? How do I make these huge decisions of my life? I had accepted Christ early in my life and, and really had known that I was going to be in full-time Christian ministry since I was 13 years of age and so I would kind of prepared for that now I was in college and was going through that but now it was the questions of God what do you want me to do next where am I going to live out this ministry life that you've given me God who is is there going to be a partner for me in in this ministry I was dating a girl at that time and, and that was one of the big questions for me is God is this the woman that you want me to marry and that falls under the heading of thank God for unanswered prayers okay Because that would have been a real mistake for me to go down that road. But I didn't even know that Jennifer existed. And yet, here I am, looking now, 25 years later, and I'm looking at my daughter thinking, these are the big questions of her life. And it was Jennifer, then Allison, then Kara. And I was on the outside. And it was just as if God said, look, I've got you in this. I'm holding you in this. My will for you is that you follow me wherever I lead you, wherever and but I just it was a surreal moment for me as I thought all the decisions that are in front of her and where God has brought me. If God had let me know all the things then that I want thought that I wanted to know, I probably wouldn't have taken the step. It would have been some of it so scary. But God allows us to know his will. He wants us to know His will. What it brings me to ask is this question. Is God concerned with every decision that faces us? Is He really concerned with every decision? Does His will cover big decisions, and does it cover small decisions that I make? And I believe the answer to that is absolutely yes. God is concerned about every decision of your life and about my life as well. Here's a statement that I believe. If I believe that God is sovereign, which just means he is in charge and over everything. If I believe that God is sovereign and in charge of everything, then absolutely He has a will for every decision of my life. But clearly, every decision that I make does not have the same consequences. Many of the situations, many of the decisions that I make are uh, situational. Uh, when I make a decision, they're going to have certain consequences. But let me ask this question. Is God concerned with what I choose to wear on a given day? I wish that Todd Pointer was here, our bass player, because he used to always accuse me of wearing plaid. And so he made a big joke about that. But does God care whether I wear plaid or whether I wear something else? Does God even care? Well, I want to bring this to kind of an understanding of this. Let's think about someone who has to make life-changing decisions for other people. Let's say it's the president or a general of an army. And they're making decisions that whatever they choose in these decisions are going to be life and death decisions for others. And when they make those decisions, it's going to have huge consequences. Does that person really struggle with what they're going to wear that day? In light of that huge decision? But what about this? What about the person who's going in for a job interview? And what how they do on this job interview might make a huge impact on where their family lives or what their family does or what the income of their family might be. Does that person care that God might have a decision or might have a will for what they might wear? And I would say yes. Again, for me, it falls under the idea of puppy love is still love to the puppy. Okay, do you believe that? I used to always think, when I was a student pastor, I would think about uh, teenagers who were in love, and someone would say, oh, it's just puppy love. And I would say, yeah, but always remember, puppy love, still love to that puppy and it makes a difference what it means is this when that decision is in front of you and it seems insurmountable and you've come to the edge and you're looking over the edge and the edge looks huge and immense and you don't know what to choose to do then is when you really want to know that God loves you well here's what I want here's where we want to begin this morning. I want you to listen to this passage This passage in Matthew 7, 11 says this. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? You know, when it's a small decision in front of you, or it's a big decision in front of you, you have a Father who loves you and cares about you. I want to illustrate this with just a few weeks ago, we discovered... No, we discovered. Allison is has become the fourth driver in our family, and so as the fourth, Can I get a collective? Oh no, yeah, that's four. Yeah, that's, that's lots of insurance is what that is. Okay, I've I've come to be thankful and not so thankful for insurance at the same time. So, but she's become the fourth driver, and I will never forget the moment that I had with her as we went to the DPS office and she was taking her test. And as a dad, I was just like this when Allison was born. I paced all over the place. Matter of fact, the nurses at the hospital where Allison was born asked Jennifer, "Could you take him home? Because he is driving us absolutely nuts." Okay, they said that about me. Now, at that DPS office, I was doing the same thing. Now, Allison had stu- she had done really well. She had studied hard. She was prepared for her exam. It was the driving portion. But as a dad, I was more nervous, I think, than she was. And I went outside the DPS office when she'd gotten in the car. And I'm pleading for God with God. I'm begging. It's those type of things when I would say, God, if you'll just get her through this, I'll never ask you for anything again. Okay, you know, those kind of prayers. Now, why was I doing that? Because as a dad, I cared about my daughter. I wanted her to feel confident. I wanted her to feel successful. Maybe, yes, I didn't want to take her to cross country at 530 in the morning ever again, okay? Maybe that was a small part of it. But I wanted my daughter to be successful. And this passage tells me and it shows me That if I, who is still sinful and struggle with evil, struggle with my own heart and the sinfulness that's in my own heart, if I know how to give my daughter and want the best for my daughter and her confidence, how much more your God, my God, wants to give you and show you His will? You see, His will, God is not the cosmic Easter bunny who hides His will from you and who you have to go around and say, oh, is it there? Is it there, God? Is it in my notebook? Is it back there? God... Where is your will? I want to search for it, and I want to find it. God loves you, and He cares for you. He wants you to know His will. He is not hiding it from you as if He wants to pull the rug out from under you. Here's the principle that I want you to understand with this today. We have a Father who is personal, who is powerful, who is sovereign, and desires what is best for us. The reason that I'm so thankful that this comes at this particular point in this series is this. We have also discovered that God, in His wisdom, sometimes allows us to walk through dark days and difficulty even when it hurts His heart and it hurts our heart because it is best for us. We understand that what He does and what is His best, that He does that all the time. That suffering or a choice not to heal can be what is best. But we sure have difficulty seeing it. We may not understand it, but nevertheless, it's true. And so, this morning, as we or now afternoon, as we look at this, I want us to look at a very familiar passage. The difficulty with the familiar passage is sometimes this. Sometimes it's so familiar to us that it loses its grip upon our heart. So we're going to look at Romans 12, 1, and 2, and we're going to discover in this passage what God says about very clearly what is His will. And in doing so, then we're going to take from it and we're going to look at some other passages that show us and help us understand the flow and nature of His will. So let's go to Romans 12, 1, and 2, and I want to read it for us. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You and I don't have to ask today, what is worship? Worship, he says, is very clearly to offer your bodies as sacrifices to God. Living sacrifices, not dead ones. Living ones to say, God, whatever you want to do with me. I love what Bart said about Orant. And Orant is this posture of prayer. It's a posture of worship. There are some of those songs that I can't sing without my hands being uplifted because God is so big that I want Him to be lifted up, that my hands are uplifted to say basically this, God, I am here. Use me however you want to use me. I am offering myself to you. To a loving father, what does a child do when they want their father to pick them up? They go like this. And so that's what we are doing. If you see somebody raising their hands in that way, it is a posture of worship. But for me, when I do it, It is a posture to God to say, I'm available. Take me and use me. So then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, that is key. We're going to come back to that in just a second. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, this is incredibly, incredibly powerful passage of scripture i want us to break it down and what it says and it begins by this i urge or i appeal to you therefore brothers other versions say i urge you this is the strongest thing that paul could ever indicate to his readers without actually commanding them to do something and the reason he doesn't want to use a command here is because he wants them to receive this as an equal he wants them to receive this as another brother appealing to someone else and he says I urge you I beg you in view of God's mercy but then he said but before he says that he says therefore now we've been teaching you this therefore when you find it in scripture you ask the question what is it very good you ask the question whenever you see a therefore in in a translation you ask what is it therefore because it's always a pause it's a pause that says i want you to look back I want you to look back at something I've already shared. And then we have to ask the question, what has Paul shared with his hearers or the people who are reading this in Romans? And what has he shared with us? In Romans 1 and 2, he deals with creation. And he's saying creation groans, creation cries out for the living God. Even by creation, you can see that God has a plan for you. In Romans 3 and 4, he talks about sin and how sin entered into the whole world. And he says, for you have, for all have fallen short of God's glory. All of us have sinned. Every single one of us stand level at the foot of the cross that we have all sinned, and so we are all alike in that. In Romans 5, he deals with this. He says, as Romans 5, he points towards Adam. And as he looks at Adam, he says, as one man sinned, and that sin passed upon the whole world." so that all have sinned. He said, Adam has sinned. Thank you very much, Adam, for doing that. But he said, not only because of Adam's sin, but because of all of our sin, each of us individually, we fall short of God's glory, and we are separated from him. Romans 6, 23, he says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul is telling us is this. Look, there is a plan. There are things that have been happening throughout history that you're a part of. Romans 8, he then says, there is therefore now no condemnation for any of you who are in Christ. What I've just talked about in Romans 6, you don't have to worry about because if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. And then he gets to Romans 12. Because Romans 12 is dealing with how should we live this life? How can we know what God wants us to know? And he says, therefore, by the mercies of God. Because He's done so much for you and I, our natural inclination, when we've understood what He's done for us, and when we recognize it, our natural inclination is then this, that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Now, Paul is directly pointing back to Romans chapter 6. I want you to listen to this. Verses 12 and 13. He says, Do not let sin control the way you live, Do not give in to its sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your what? Whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. The beauty of all of this is this, that what God is saying to us is that he wants us to see our bodies as a whole sacrifice that we are making to God, that we are giving ourselves to him, and that we are saying, God, whatever you want to do in this life, use this body not to serve sin. Now, the first two services as i talked about this, is this a group that still struggles with sin? Yes or no? All right. See? You guys are honest. Thank you. The eight thirty service must have been the holy service this morning because I said that and they went, hmm. "Oh, I'm sorry. You guys don't don't deal with sin, but I do, and I struggle with this in, struggle with using this body in sin." And so what he's saying is, don't let this body be utilized for sin, but allow this body to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you would then hear what God wants you to do and what He wants you to see, and He allows this body to be used. By him to be holy and acceptable, and to be this worship, which is your spiritual act of worship, our bodies being used for what God wants us to be used by. Now, he then says, by the renewal of your mind. Now we are going to be getting to that. We're going to talk about that more. But what he says is the renewal of our mind is the way that we will know the will of God. And then he says, Then by your testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Now, this is how we can know God's will. It doesn't have to be something that we don't understand. I loved it because in the second service, a good friend of mine came up and he said, my wife and I were talking as we were getting ready this morning, and she brought this verse to me, and she said, we're going to memorize this verse. And he goes, it was Romans 12, 1 and 2. And he said, we were going to get with our life group leader tonight and maybe call you because there were some things we didn't understand that now we don't have to do because you talked about this. And so God wants us to know his will. It's not something he hides from us. He wants us to know it, but how do we know it? Now, before we actually cover all of just and get into that, I think we need to understand what we are saying when we're saying knowing God's will. There are two types of God's will that I want us to talk about just briefly. The first one is God's assigned will. This is, the definition of this would be, God is in control of all that comes to pass. Now the great word to use here is sovereign. God is over everything. In other words, God has a will and he has a plan and he's in control of everything. But God's assigned will then basically makes us or helps us to understand this. There are even some things that God doesn't want to happen that he has assigned to happen. Now, for a second, you're going, wait, wait. That doesn't logically compute that God is in control of everything, that God wills things, but then there are certain things that he, even God doesn't desire. Well, let me give you an explanation for that and an illustration for it. Number one, Jesus in the garden contemplating our sins being placed upon him on the cross. Matthew 26:39. listen to this. My Father, if it be possible, this is Jesus, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So here's the Father looking at His Son who's going to take on the sin of every single one of us and take that onto His own life on the cross. God, did God the Father want that for His Son? I would say no. But that is His assigned will that cannot change. Number two. As we look back at the cross that Jesus, what he accomplished on the cross, these are the disciples talking in Acts 4, verse 27 and 28. They said, truly in this city. Now, what city are they talking about? Not Saginaw, but Jerusalem. Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had what? Predestined take place in other words the father knew that this was going to happen with the son and not only did he know that but he allowed it he put it forward in place this is part of his assigned will and the last couple of weeks we've talked about a part of his assigned will in the life of a believer suffering in the life of a christian can be part of god's assigned will first peter three seventeen says this it says it is better to suffer for doing good if that If that should be God's will, then for doing evil. So it is better for us to suffer than to go through evil if God allows it and God wills it. So this is what we would call God's assigned will. But the real questions of your life and my life, of what do I do in a particular situation, of whether this is the right decision for me to make or not, In order for us to avoid what we would call the paralysis of analysis, okay? Of analyzing everything to the greatest extent of being so fearful to make a decision. When we're in that type of situation, how do we know God's will and what He wants us to do? Well, this is what we would call God's available will. First is God's assigned will, the things that cannot change. And then there's God's available will. Here's a great definition for it: This is the will of God that we can choose to obey. Or to disobey. So there are situations and times where God places before us a decision. And He has a specific direction that He wants us to go. And it's our choice to obey or disobey. Now there are three parts of this, or three evidences of this, or examples. I want to give them to you, but we're really going to deal with the third one. But the first one is this God's will. Now we know this because Scripture says it and we can hold on to it. Number one, it is God's will that all people should be saved. That is God's will. But it's His available will. He doesn't make it to happen. In other words, God is a gentleman God where He knocks on your heart's door. And if you don't choose to open that door, He cannot and will not come into your life because He will not force Himself upon you. It is His available will. But it is His will that all men should be saved. Listen to this. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some would count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all would reach repentance. It is God's will that all should be saved. But not everyone is, because it's his available will, he gives us a choice. The second thing that we know is God's will is that it is God's will that as believers, if you have a relationship with Christ, it is God's will that you would be full of God's Spirit. We don't have to wonder about that. We don't have to question whether God wants me to be a Christian or not. He does. We don't have to wonder if God questions whether I should be filled with God's Spirit or not. He does. Listen to Ephesians 5, verse 17 and 18. It says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the... Will of the Lord is. And then he says, and do not be drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery or is a debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, unfortunately, most people or some people will make this an issue of should we drink wine or should we drink alcohol or not? That is not what this passage is talking about at all. Yes, it's talking about alcohol, but it's actually a picture of the Greek and Roman um, temples and what would take place in there. Paul is using it as an illustration. He says, do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. So this is what would happen. People would go to these, these Greek Roman temples, and they would take in so much alcohol because what would go on in those temples was sometimes so perverse that they would have to get themselves so drunk that when they went in they would hope not to remember it and they would place themselves in a place of what we would call ecstasy so that everything that went on, they would begin to see visions and see things that maybe weren't there. What would happen, Paul is pointing to that and said, you've seen, all of you, as you've gone to the Greek and Roman texts, when someone drinks alcohol to the point of where they no longer have any inhibition, They are in control of the alcohol. The alcohol controls them. He says in the same way, you and I should be under the control of God's Spirit. So that when we walk into a situation, we are so full of what He desires for us to do and to be, that we are in line with what He desires. In control of God's Spirit. It is God's will. Is it God's will that all people be saved? Is it God's will that we as believers should be full of the Holy Spirit? Yes. We don't have to ask that. But the third area is where we really are feeling sometimes the pressure. And it is it is God's will that we should be sanctified. Now, there's a good Christian religious word. What in the world does it mean? It's God's will that we be sanctified. Very simply, it means this. That you and I should look more and more like Jesus every day that we're alive. That's what sanctifies. us. What that means is that God wants us to look more and more and more like Him. That from the time where we accepted Christ to the time where He takes us home, either by death or by rapture, but probably for most of us by death, in that time period we should look more and more and more like Jesus Christ. Now the question, sometimes it comes up, it comes up quite often actually, what about someone who falls away? Well, I would ask this. One, have they ever accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior? Do they truly have a relationship with Him? And two, are they looking? Are we looking more and more like Jesus every day? We need to have that assurance so that our lives continue to look more and more like Jesus. That's what it means by being sanctified. Well, Now, wait a second, Randy. That doesn't have anything to do, does it, with me knowing God's will? And I'm here to tell you, it has everything to do with you knowing what God's will is. I know we would like a formula. You add this and add this and add this and you get God's will out. Of it, okay? You put in 50 cents and you get God's will out of the vending machine. But God's will and you knowing it is a process of your life. Because here's the truth. God is less concerned about you knowing the specifics of age decision than he is about you looking more and more like his son every day. He much more wants you to look more and more like Jesus than just to have this particular answer or or checking it off your list. Now, does God care about that individual decision? Absolutely. But He even more cares about you and I looking more like Christ. I heard this this week, and this is a powerful, powerful quote. Not from me. It's from a pastor named Alistair Begg. I don't even know if it's original with him, but I want you to listen to it and I'd encourage you to write it down and just take it home and let it soak into your life. Listen to this. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God inside the child of God in order to make us more and more daily like the Son of God. That is the purpose of the Christian life. That's it. That the Spirit of God would take the Word of God as you bring it into your heart and life. Not just on Sundays, folks, okay? You need more. You don't just eat once a week. If you did, we'd be a much smaller church, if you know what I mean, all right? If we only ate once a week. We don't eat just once a week. We need to eat daily what God, if the Spirit of God, takes the Word of God into the life of the child of God, that more and more each day we would look like the Son of God. That is the purpose of the Christian life. Let me explain that to us. What does it have to do with us knowing His will? Romans, Romans 12 said, remember, I think we'd come back to this, the renewal of your mind. What does that mean? When we renew our minds, here's what it means. We bring my thoughts into alignment with God's thoughts. That my mind, which is the place where I make decisions, okay? The Bible often talks about the heart. It's not talking about the physical heart. The heart that the Bible is talking about is the whole nature of the person. The mind, will, the emotions, everything, the soul, everything that we are, that is our heart. But when he's talking about the mind, he's talking about the place in which decisions are made in your life and my life. What does the Bible say about renewing the mind? Here's what it means, bringing my thoughts into alignment with God's thoughts. But here's what renew means. Let's just take the word, to renew. To make new again. To make it like it was before. But I've got a problem with that. I've always been a sinner. So what is Paul saying when he says he wants to renew my mind? Does he want to to make it like it was when I was 13? No, because I was still a sinner when I was 13. So what is he saying? To renew to what? To go all the way back to what he was talking about in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. When Adam and Eve, before they had sinned, They walked in fellowship with the Father. They were always in the fellowship with the Father so that when they made a decision, what should I name this animal? They didn't go over 1,500 names and go, God, what's your will in this? No, they were walking with the Father. They said, that's a zebra. That's a hippopotamus. That's a kangaroo, okay? They made decisions because they were walking with the Father. And to renew our mind means to go back to that place where we were as we were continually walking in this relationship. To renew our minds needs to go back to that. Let me prove it to you by Scripture. Romans 8, 5-8 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their what? mind On the deeds of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Death. And is he talking about physical death? No. He's talking about spiritual death. But when we set our minds on the flesh, the only thing that it's going to give us is death in our life. You know what death looks like? Death looks like the destruction of families. Death looks like um, the, the dissolution of churches. Death looks like everything in our culture continuing to move the boundaries one time, one place, Being conformed or pressed into the image of the mold—that's what death looks like. If I go get a piece of play-doh and I press it into the mold and I take it out, it looks like the. Okay, very good. There we go. Where, Where are that? If I press it into the mold, it looks like the mold, and that's what's happening in our culture, isn't it? The world is pressing us in so that one generation we move the social bound or the cultural boundaries just a little bit, so that we don't notice. And then the next generation, we move it a little bit more Till later, at the end of our lives, and we look back, we go, how did our country, how did our culture get to be what it is? It's called the frog in the kettle type of idea. If you place a frog in a hot pot of boiling water, what's the frog going to do? Jump out. But if you put the frog in a cool pot of water and you turn it up gradually, he will boil alive because he gets used to it. And in our culture, we've allowed... Just a little bit of movement. Just a little bit from generation to generation. And we've been pressed to the image of this world. And Paul says, when you set your mind on that, it is death. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. In other words, it's an enemy. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh, listen to this, cannot. God. Here's what that means. The person who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ cannot be in God's will. It doesn't mean that they can't do moral things. It can't doesn't mean that they can't be a good person, but they can't have the assurance that they're in God's will because God's will begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's not the last part of God's will. That's the beginning point. That we would set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Colossians 2, verses 2 and 16. We don't have enough time to deal with 3 through 16. So go home and see what that says in that in that particular portion. But Colossians 2, or yeah, Colossians 3, verse 2 says this. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have what? Have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. What God is, what Paul is saying is this. We are dead to this old way. We are a new sacrifice. We are a sacrifice to God. A living sacrifice. But we have to die to that old way of life first. Verse 16 says then, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Let me help you try to understand what I'm saying. How do I know God's will? It's a process. It's not a formula. What is the process? It is always taking in God's word, listening to the control of God's Spirit, understanding what the circumstances and things are in our life, and walking through them. And Dallas Willard has put this in a in a way that I think it helps me to understand it. Dallas Willard is a, a tremendous uh, teacher. Uh, he was a, the, a philosophy professor at the University of Southern California, but was a Baptist pastor. And his books I love. There's a book that he wrote called Hearing God, and this is inside it. And it's called The Three Lights. So here's what it basically looks like. God's words, the impression of God's Spirit, and circumstances in our life. Now, notice, first of all, that the circles aren't the same size, Right? That's important, and it's by intention. God's Word needs to be, if I were actually looking at this, circumstances would be about the size of a pen, and God's Word would be about the size of the globe. In other words, when we are taking in God's Word continually, not just on Sunday morning, but we're living God's Word in and out of our life, we're inhaling it and ingesting it into our lives, we're exhaling prayer and allowing God to speak in and over us, This is God's Word that's continually. The more I know of what He wants me to do, the more my mind begins to be renewed. That now I no longer just have my mind, I start to think and have His thoughts. When we couple that with the understanding or impression of God's Spirit, in other words, the idea of us being full of God's Spirit that we can hear and listen to what He's saying. It's not an audible voice. For some it might be. For me it's never been but it's the idea of God's Spirit leading me. Well, how would I know if He's leading me? Because it's all in alignment with God's Word. And so you put these two things together. Then as you walk in circumstances, you're just like Adam and Eve for her in the Garden of Eden, that now I'm walking with God. I'm hearing so much from God. I've ingested so much of His Word that I know that I'm walking in His will. John MacArthur gave this illustration of this. He said he once had a young man who came to him and he said, Pastor MacArthur, what I really want to do with my life, I'm just struggling with what to do and what decisions I should make. He said, well, what do you, what's going on in your life? He goes, are you really, are you involved in God's Word? He said, absolutely. He said, have you done the work to remove sin from your life? Is there any known sin that you know? He said, I have sought to confess everything and I've sought to be in God's Word. He said, what are you really designed to do? He goes, I know that, he, that the Lord called me to the mission field, but one of the places I know that I have a passion for uh, Jewish-speaking or, or French-speaking Jews. And he said, so I want to move to Paris. He said, so you're in God's Word, yes. So you, you sought to remove sin, the sin that you know from your life, and the passion of your heart is that you share and that you go and be a missionary to, other, to Jewish people or to French-speaking Jews, he said, yes. He said, then go. You see, if you're in God's Word and you're sensing the movement of His Spirit, we come to this decision and it is like, this is God's will. He's showing me it is God's will because it's so in line with everything that He's been doing, so in line with the direction that He's leading me. And it makes total understanding and he got it. Let me illustrate this finally with a passage that may be one of the most um, misunderstood passages, especially in the church of prosperity today. Psalm 37, verse 4. This is one of the first messages I ever gave was on Psalm 37, verse 4 to a class when I was a sophomore to a class of 7th grade kids and they asked me to come share a verse, and I shared this verse. But here it is. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, in the prosperity gospel, we'll say this. Whatever you want, if your heart wants it, God wants you to have it. Go after it and get it. That's not what this verse says. Let me explain to you. In light of everything we said today, what this verse says is, when you use, are delighting yourself in God, and He is everything that you want, and you're in His Word, and you're listening to Him, then you know what happens? He will give you the desires of your heart. Do you want to know why? Because your desires change to be in line with His desires. In other words, my desires come in line with His desires. It's not God who changes. My heart changes. And that's what I'm saying with this whole idea and this issue with God's will is we come up with all these all these things and, God, what do you want me to do? The question is, have I spent time enough with God to know his heart on the matter? That's the question. God, what do you want me to do? Is my heart in line with you? It may not be the formula you were hoping for, but it is the process through which God directs us. you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for this day and for the time that you've given us. God, I lift you up, and I pray that every person, Father, here this morning, that we would know how to live in your will. And that, Father, we would follow the impressions of your Spirit. Father, that we would honor your Word, and that we would be strengthened and would follow you today. God, I thank you that... Lord, this morning there are those here today who don't have a relationship with you and that, Father, they've heard this message. If that's you this morning, I just, I, I pray that you would listen to what the Spirit says to you now. That He would say, I want you to be my God. So if that's you this morning, I just hope that you'd say something like this. But God, I know that I can't do this on my own. I know that I can't follow your will if I don't first have a relationship come into my heart. I know that's a will for you. I don't even have to ask. God, would you do that today with me? For the rest of us this morning, we are at a place where we're asking ourselves, am I taking in God's Word? Am I listening to what He says? Am I aligning, realigning, renewing my mind to be his mind and in his heart, Father, I pray that we would be a church member who walks in your way. That we know your word, not just because pastors preach it, not just because it's on the radio, not just because other people tell us we should, but we honor your word because it is your love letter to us. May we walk.